0: Hello Hello, everyone, this is Mary and I'm so excited to join you before the episode starts to announce a new project that I'll be launching on March 1st. I'm so excited to bring you a newsletter called Landline. Landline is a pop culture and history newsletter from me, your millennial friend, with too many interests and not enough friends willing to talk on the phone. It will include writing on pop culture, reviews of books, music, TV, and film, and conversations and interviews with people I respect, all about the obsessions I think about through a historical lens. And paid members will get a weekly podcast episode from me called Hello Friend, you just heard the theme music um, at the start, and each episode will essentially be me riffing on a topic of interest that week. Paid members can also expect to get digital zines from me, along with entry into the Landline community, including Star 69 or discussion threads where I hear back from you on that week's topics. I'm calling it Landline as an embrace of the millennial technology, along with AIM, that was my first means of sharing my hot takes, deep dives, and investigations with a captive audience, at that time mostly just Fluffy. But look, if you're the kind of person that likes thinking about the Titanic as much as the Kate Winslet vehicle of same name, this newsletter is for you. I hope you'll join me there when it launches on March 1st. You can sign up now using a link that I'll put in the episode notes of today's episode. You can also find it linked on my personal website, marymmahoney.com, and on my Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. Thanks so much for your continued support. It's really meant a lot to me and frankly is what's motivated me to, you know, keep making cool things that I'm interested in and I hope you'll be interested too and that you'll join me there. Anyway, on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girl series, book by book. I'm Mary. I'm Still Allison. And Still Allison, we're so excited to talk about the second book in the Claudie series, Adventures with Claudie, an American Girl.
1: Did you know that my book says, To Still Allison, from Britt Bennett?
0: Whew, that's so weird that you say that, because my book says, i got to turn to it, It's like still such a thrill to Mary parentheses, Mimi. Oh, Britt Bennett. Now, how do we have these amazing books in our hands?
1: This is courtesy of one of the amazing listeners of this show. Her name is Brenna. She is a person who is name dropped in our book and very close to our hearts. And she traveled to meet Britt Bennett when she did a mini tour for the release of this book back in June and July, I believe, of 2023. And then she very graciously shipped these out to us. And I had forgotten mine has a Josefina sticker in it as well. So it's kind of a fun like extra surprise.
0: Yes, I'm looking at the stationery of the card that Brenna sent to me with this book. And it's beautiful. I just want to say I love... Uh, monogram stationary if you have initials that are all the same letter it's like you kind of have to lean into that although when I did have my L Bean backpack in high school it meant that people followed me around going like mmm <laughs> yeah. so that wasn't ideal but Brenna like this is so beautiful that you did this for us and you know it was so nice to hold this in my hand and I had her card as a bookmark and just like feel like you know like you have certain books that are just like special like as objects and I just feel like it's such a beautiful book itself but to have a book that's like signed. Wow. Like, and, and just the thoughtfulness that went into this, like, thank you. This is so beautiful.
1: We also talked a bit about with the first Claudia book, we listened. I, I know I listened to the audiobook because I wanted to hear what I thought was a little bit of like extra with Brit Bennett and kind of see how they package the audio book. And if you haven't picked up either of these, they're really attractive. They're really nice little hard covers they're, you know, hovering around a hundred-ish pages a piece with everything inside. This one is a beautiful pink with a nice little like art deco motif on the inside, a really nice wraparound cover, and a pink ribbon. So if that's something you kind of miss from your childhood, this is a really, really nice book.
0: Back in the day, I mean, it's a beautiful book. The only book that's more beautiful than this is our book. So I'm just gonna oh. say that. <laughs> Which there is available a- for sale. I'm just going to put it out there. If you haven't picked it up, check it out.
1: There's a very similar pink. And I will say yes. there's something that I really like about this brand and this company, just like very deliberately going back to its roots and saying, we know you want the portraits at the beginning. We know you want the kind of like back matter, peek into the past. And it's like they take all that feedback and they added other material. Like Cool maps mm. and things that earlier books didn't yes. have. So, this was really a pleasure to read.
0: It, it's a gorgeous book. And I found myself just like longingly looking at these illustrations, even as I'm flipping through it now. It's like the end papers are beautiful. It's like someone who likes to make books for fun. Like, this is a very beautiful book. So, highly recommend. The illustrator is named Laura Freeman. Laura Freeman. Shout out to her. This is beautiful. Like, I would love some of these as paintings, like they're gorgeous. Beautiful. I, th-
1: I think something that is great about this, and we can talk even more about this in detail, but this book is very self-consciously a second-generation book, and we talked a bit about this when we looked at the first Brit Bennett American Girl book. That she very openly was someone who kind of pitched herself to the company, who wanted to write an American Girl book, who grew up with Addie, and the fact that there is a section of an Addie book in the back of this, and they make mm. that connection. I think it's smart, right, to lean in in the best way possible to what you know is kind of your growing fan base of people across generations. And that's something that I think also really comes out in the story as well of a girl sort of learning to see her mother also as a daughter. You know, yes. and it's just like a really brilliant kind of story that's in here, but also this idea of... These are really something that's now been enjoyed for decades. And so just leaning into that instead of acting like Brit Bennett just emerged one day and wanted to write this book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a very meta piece of this is like it's a generational story contained in a book that reminds you of the generational nature of being an American Girl fan, where it's like you could have grown up on Addie like we did. And, you know, maybe sharing this with a young person in your life. And I had the pleasure of visiting a class where I work this week. And um, somebody was like, oh, my God, like, you do your show about American Girl. And they're like, yeah, I grew up with American Girl. I read a really old one. You probably don't know her. Her name's Julie. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, Julie is old to you? That was a rough moment for me, Allison. And then they were like, "You're wow, like, you're a millennial. Like, that's old. <laughs> It was a rough moment for me, but I was like, wow, I guess like if you're that age, like Julie does seem like a long time ago to you. But just kind of thinking about like the generational history of all these characters and yeah, I guess it's been a while. I don't know.
1: I would guess that
0: Julie's skin,
1: were she a real person, would be better than mine. Like I just have the utmost confidence in Julie as a person who thrives even if she is much older than we are today
0: wow i feel you know i i like that confidence in her 100 um i also just want to give a shout out before we kind of like talk about what we're into right now my brother just started a job at delta so i just want to say congrats to him he's now flying this is the brother who looks like uncle guard and he's now flying on delta so congrats rick proud of you Um, But, you know, I was like, Rick, I I described Julie's dad. And I was like, please don't be like this. (laughs) Learn from this book you've never read.
1: Do you think that there are pilots who listen to this show while
0: commandeering an airplane? Oh, my God. I mean, that would kind of be a dream. I don't know if that's, like, safe. And I know that there's been a lot of investigations lately into... You know, plane safety, whatnot. I'm afraid to fly, so I try not to think oh. about it too much. Because I do fly, I just don't. Like, I'm like, I have to hold somebody's hand or the plane's going to go down. Like, that's how logical my fear is. But That's
1: what comes I'm also- off is coming off. I mean, you're not going to do much about it is how I see it, yeah. right? Like, if the train is yeah. going off the tracks, it's going off the tracks, right? You know, I had a mini, you know, near final destination moment last night. A bunch of siding fell off of a van, like right onto my car. But, you know, I figure like, well, it just like wasn't the day, you know, so you you Excuse me, siding
0: fell off of a van?
1: Yeah, the van was a a siding and roofing professional's vehicle and it flew off the top of it. So he had spare siding. He did pull over, but only after multiple massive pieces flew towards and interacted with my vehicle. And I thought, well, it's not today. I just had chicken parm. So maybe it's another day, but (gasps) nonetheless.
0: So did you like, Is your car damaged? Thankfully, no,
1: it was, it was a very strange, like very quick situation. So, but I, you know, I will say too. I had just finished reading this book, and I was grateful that I can drive more than thirty miles per hour, which Claudia and her mother wow. cannot. I'll
0: I can't say drive that thirty. I'll say that I choose not to. I mean, yeah, I'm glad you had chicken parm too, because that's a real that's a high point. But like, what are some other high points? Like, what's going on with you? What are you taking in?
1: Yeah, I've been enjoying, you know, there's been some good books coming out, even though it's like really early in the year. I want to recommend something that I think people who tuned in for a Claudia episode will enjoy, which is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride, which is a Mm. multi-generational story set in a town. And it looks at different members of a community that is is in a situation that is both heavily segregated, but there are newcomers who are kind of changing up that dynamic. And so that is something that I really enjoyed. I also read a book that I know a lot of folks read years ago, but was new to me, which was my year of rest and relaxation, which I know is sort of a, a polarizing oh. and
0: strange book. <laughs> yeah. Did you like it?
1: I loved it. And, you know, in wintertime, I, I tend to get to a place where I – Don't like to get out of the covers because I'm very comfortable and and it's very Mm -hmm. cold outside. And that is a story about a person who tries to sleep for an entire year. And I'll just say that was kind of an interesting wake up call from inside the house of sorts because I no longer want to just lay in bed because that book kind of shook it out of me.
0: Wow. So it was kind of like a therapeutic book in a sense and and motivated you in a certain direction.
1: It did because the idea of staying in bed for really even more than 12 hours is actually not pleasant to me. I'll also just recommend, I think our listeners will really like a book called The Glow by Jesse Gaynor, which I really, really enjoyed. It's about a kind of Flailing girl boss type who ends up trying to take over an influencer farm? And I really, really liked it. It's a very cool.
0: Okay, that sounds great. Love that. Um, I'm currently going through a space where I keep taking out way more books from my library than I have time to read. So that's unfortunate. I'm working through that. I'm still in my Robert Caro era. I'm reading, I just finished his book called Working, which is um, a really great book about it's like collections of talks he's given or essays. And it's about like the process of doing research or like being a historian. So if that sounds boring, like just give it a try. I mean, it's sort of like, how do you investigate something that no one else cares about? And like, how do you follow leads? What does that feel like? How did he learn to do what he does? And, you know, as someone who loves doing that myself, like that really resonated with me. And it's a very quick read. Although I was angry because his wife never gets credit in his books as a co-author. And she basically does all the research with him. Mm. He's writing the books, but I mean, at one point she had to sell their house so he could write his first book. And she was like, yeah, she just knew what it meant to me. So she sold the house. And I was like, oh my God, like, and for women to open up to him, like, she has to go in first and have, like, girl talk and then be like, he's, like, cool. And then he comes in and I'm just sort of like, there is a fascinating history of, like, a certain generation of person who, like, treats their wife like an assistant, kind of. And the book is dedicated to her and, I like, I believe their relationship is real, i don't know i'm just saying like it has me thinking a lot about the role of like partners in projects like that where it is like your life's work like he's basically studied two men his entire life um anyway so that's on my mind speaking of another man i'm also watching feud by truman about truman capote i loved the last iteration of this which was about joan crawford and betty davis i love golden age of hollywood like anything and this is a very salacious story that's based on basically his personal downfall where, like, panic in panic mode, he, you know, as someone who was friends with um, New York's elite, um, the ladies who lunch, he had all of their secrets, and then he put them on to some short stories that were published in Esquire when he was needing, desperate for, um, mm-hmm. to deliver on a publishing contract. And then it's kind of like how they ice him out and what happens. So if you like a period piece, if you like gossip, I don't know. It's it's very good so far. And Tom Hollander plays Truman Capote and is very good as Truman Capote. Um, it's very good. And like speaking of another person who took credit for someone else's labor, I mean, kind of what was his undoing and I think is that when Harper Lee Won the Pulitzer Prize for um, To Kill a Mockingbird and basically was like, okay, like I did that. I'm done. Like I don't really need to write another book. And he was like, never gave her credit on In Cold Blood for all the research she did. Mm. And I think was just jealous of her success, seemingly with no effort, even though there was much effort. And then was just chasing his former success and just couldn't deal with, you know, your life changing or di- being in different seasons of your life. So, I think it'll be very interesting about like high society and friendship and gossip and all kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I would watch that. That sounds interesting.
0: It seems good. I don't know. It's kind of like I'm also finishing Gilded Age, which I know I'm behind on, but watching them back to back was interesting because it's kind of like same stories, different time periods, kind of. I know
1: I, I am woefully behind on the Gilded Age. I know it happened a long time ago, but I'll get back
0: there. You can kind of pick it up whenever. It's such a like. I think we're in the doldrums of winter now. And for me, like in the past two weeks in Connecticut, it has been gray every day. We just got sun yesterday, and that has once again confirmed that I can't hang in the Pacific Northwest. Like there was a time when I was really watching Grey's Anatomy. I was like, maybe that's the journey. And and no, I, my Leonis, like I just need the sunshine. But I'm finding myself like going towards comfort things like mysteries, like I'm rewatching all of Borough still, Columbo, and historical, any historical drama I will watch. So if listeners have one they like to recommend like a show, I would absolutely love that. There's even like the third part of like the Tom Hanks Pacific Band of Brothers debuting on Apple TV. Oh, no. And I'm like, do I do? This is like where my toxic behavior comes out where I'm like, I know why that's a problem. And anytime that I'm sick, like I like last time I was sick, I watched all of Band of Brothers and Anna was like, I don't know what's going on down there, (laughs) but I'm hearing guns. And she was like, how is this soothing to you right now? I'm like, I don't know what's happening to me. Like, just don't even engage it. Like, just let it happen. I just have to like work it out. Maybe
1: we'll get a Claudine movie.
0: I would love that. I was thinking about that watching this. Like, this is so designed to be filmed, I think.
1: I also think the title is smartly ambitious where just by nature of it. So it's called Adventures with Claudie. I automatically kept asking myself, like, so what are the other adventures? Right. I wanted there to be additional ones. And we kind of know that the only other book that we've gotten in her universe, well, actually one and a half. There's a tiny booklet that came with some of her clothing and there is a learn to read book put out by American Girl. But this is it. After this, we, we've really read all there is to read. But this idea of her being a person with adventures, I think it's a great period title. And it also, to me, suggests, you know, perhaps she didn't have control over this decision. Right. If I was Britt Benton, I'd be like, hire me to write more of these and I would happily read them.
0: Absolutely. And I also think this lends itself to be, I was thinking this would be a really good, like, limited series. Yeah. And because, like, one, to see the Harlem Renaissance from the perspective of a child, I think, is a really fresh perspective that even if you were not an American Girl fan, so to speak, like, this would be of interest to you, like, as an entry point into New York at a certain moment. I think this would just be fascinating, like even just grounding it in the boarding house and like everyone's life. And maybe we have episodes that follow each member of the boarding house through a day of their life. Like, I mean, I was hiring myself for the writing room as I was reading the book. Again, that's not being workshopped, I don't (laughs) think. But um, I also don't think a white girl from Connecticut is the person to hire. But, you know, I would love to watch this. I mean, it reminded me of how much we loved watching The Nick, which, you know, RIP, I wish that had more seasons, but... How that can just suck you into that world. Like there's so much like amazing just scenery and descriptions. Like, I feel like we just have to dive right in.
1: Let's do it. So, Adventures in Claudie is a novel by Britt Bennett, illustrated by Laura Freeman. And much like the older American Girl books, the illustrator, I think, really is an important author and contributor to this volume. The illustrations are very thoughtfully placed and are really part of the story. We we've read enough of these now where the illustrations sometimes seem like they have nothing to do with the book and that's not the case here, (laughs) which is great. So we'll talk a bit about like other components that are in this book because we get additional content. But just to start with the overview, Claudia is traveling from Harlem to Georgia with mama and cousin Sydney to meet her grandmother and cousins for the first time. She hopes that learning her family's story will inspire her for the variety show she's planning to raise money for the boarding house her family lives in. Claudie's grandmother tells her a legend from slavery times called The People Could Fly. In it, an old man whispers magic words and the enslaved people grow wings and fly home to Africa. This gives Claudie an amazing idea for the finale of her show. But will her creativity be enough to save the home that she loves?
0: Dun, dun, dun. Should we spoil it? Yeah, I think we should.
1: Her creativity does save the home that she loves and out. she learns great lessons along the way.
0: That might come as a surprise to you listeners for an American Girl book to involve someone learning a lesson along the way and achieving their goal. But that's, in fact, what happens here. And But along the way, my God, what a ride. I mean, first of all, it's been a minute since we read book one. So I had to kind of like recall that where we left off with Claudia is that her beloved boarding house is potentially going to be thrown out of business because of upped rent, I believe, question mark. And that Claudie has basically said, let's put on a show and that's going to solve the problem. And she left for a trip to see her grandmother for the first time. Not sure what her contribution to the show would be after enlisting people in the neighborhood and the boarders.
1: We also, the boarding house is a brilliant way to introduce other types of people that would live in Harlem. So Claudie's mother is a journalist and a fairly successful one at that. And her father runs a bakery. She also has a younger brother named Jody, who is just six years old. But by placing her in a boarding house, very much like in the kit books, we get experience and exposure to a number of other people, most of whom have really interesting professions in Harlem. So we meet people who are visual artists, a woman who is a dancer. She's interacting with creative people. And yeah. this book, I think, is kind of a fun and clever wink even at the end of book 2 has her really coming across like sort of like the top legend of the Harlem Renaissance at least for men which is Langston Hughes right so i think mm-hmm. the book is kind of using the boarding house as a way to write a love letter to both real and fictional people who would have been in a little girl's world in this time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and what I really like about it is like some of it is sort of like, you know, when historical things are like, well, you look at there, here's Eleanor Roosevelt. And it's like, OK, this doesn't feel random, but this feels as seamless as something like this could in terms of like Langston Hughes randomly showing up at the end of this book. Um, and it also is really heartening that there's all these adults that kind of let you see what's possible in Harlem at this period, but also they all take her seriously. Like the through line is they all take her seriously and there's no one who's demeaning what she's trying to do or why she's trying to do it. And I thought that that was a really nice choice on Britt Bennett's part. Like we don't have any kind of like, remember in the kit books that like cranky uncle Mm -hmm. who's like constantly like questioning her and he like kind of didn't really change over the arc of the books. Like I liked that that's not in this book.
1: I think one of the big standouts of this story is that in the process of Claudia and her mother going down to visit family, going down really to visit her grandmother, we encounter kind of a situation where success looks really different depending on your point of view. And something that's brilliant about this book is Claudie's father is a veteran of World War I. And we know that in the years following the war, there is a great migration and overlapping with it, but there's this great migration of free black people from the South and different generations of people moving North, right? So they're trying to find new opportunity And her mother had been part of one of those waves along with, you know, other members of her family. And what we're seeing when we meet her grandmother is we're finding out that the older generation really saw success as owning land that they could till on, owning land that they Mm. could manage themselves and for Claudie's mother, success looks very different. It means following in the paths of someone like Ida B. Wells Barnett and being an enterprising businesswoman herself. But instead of saying like, well, this, this one way is better than the other way or. I think an easy trap with historical fiction and women like, well, this girl is cool. So she gets that this stuff is old fashioned and traditional. This book really smartly positions it as like, these people value different things and see safety different ways. So they took different routes in life.
0: Right. And what I also like too, is it doesn't negate, or it doesn't also fall into the trope of waves, which I also think is an issue in women's history or women's historical fiction of like, well, my mom did this, and she wanted something completely different than what I want, like, as you're saying. So it's not like, you know, maybe freedom feels like being able to tell stories about the things you want to tell stories about. And for her, her mom, like that's what her life is about is like telling the truth in the crisis and whatever paper she's working for. And her mom is also a storyteller um and tells stories to Claudia before bed. But like, that's not the main thing in her life that, defines, as you're saying, like a sense of safety. And if you read a lot of women's history that's engaged, like really invested in like wave culture, it's like, well, the first wave wanted the vote, the second wave wanted like birth control. And it's like, well, maybe people wanted both of those things or there was overlap. Like it's the truth of people's lives is so messy. And I think the Britt Bennett did a good job of kind of showing people wanting different things for their lives and not judging each other for it.
1: This character too, you know, With only a few hundred pages, Britt Bennett gives us really good character development. One of the first things that Claudie is told in the early part of this book is that they're going to be taking this long journey and that she sort of has to keep in her 10-year-old head three different sets of rules. There's the rules for how she interacts with the world in Harlem. There's the rules of the road. And now there's going to be this new set of rules when they arrive in Georgia, And a lot of different characters in this book reinforce, it's not as if one part of the country is superior to the other. It's just that you have to learn how to adapt your behavior to survive in each of them.
0: Right. And it's interesting because I think like situating this in the time, like this is before there were like air quotes, like rule books on how to survive like a road trip in that way. Like if you're thinking about the green book, like this is before the green book.
1: By by quite a bit. Yeah.
0: Right. Did you do the math problem? I did not do the math problem. I found that offensive, Allison. Why would they include math in this book? I'm sorry. So we I get, had like a panic attack. I was like, oh my God, I felt like I was taking the SATs again. We, we get a math it. problem.
1: So if you've been spending time on the math of how Taylor Swift was going to both go to the Super Bowl and like come back from Japan, like if you're still reeling from that, skip through this part. But her road trip is just over 1,000 miles. And I also pulled this up on Google Maps because I was curious with the interstate highway system how it might be different. Right. She and her mother travel 30 miles per hour, and the whole journey took 30 hours. With rest stops, the trip was three days. The Model T's tank held 10 gallons of gas and could travel 17 miles per hour. And they're asking you how often they had to stop for fuel That was hard. The answer is right there. I didn't even bother trying. But I did look this up to realize that a trip from Harlem to Shelman, Georgia today would take 16 hours. So you could get there a lot faster.
0: How long does it take now? Three days or in the book? Three days? It takes three days. And it's 16 hours now? Okay i mean look you're talking to a person like the the bias of being from new england is that you get very upset if something like to me a long car ride is like three hours and i know that people listening in the midwest are laughing right now or the south because that's like insane i own that so reading this i was like wow props to them i would be like a hostile witness on by day two of this trip.
1: What did you think of the choice to situate Claudie in two real places, like to have her be from, obviously, a real place, Harlem, in the 1920s, and to have her go to a place that is also real in Georgia?
0: I thought that was great. I mean, I think it kind of grounds it in a feeling of what's real, because I think something that Britt bennett does really well in this section of the book is communicating what it feels like to be afraid especially if you have no experience with the situation at hand so if you're a white person if you're not living in jim crow south as a person of color like what would it feel like to be afraid when someone just pulls up alongside you and asks where you're going um and i think she communicates that really well by again like grounding it in real details And interestingly, um, if you go on the New York Public Library site, they have an archive for the Green Book, which the earliest um, edition, I think, was 1933. So, like, still a decade to come. But you can actually put in roots. So I did it from New York to Atlanta. I couldn't do the town. Um, And it it actually produced a map that looked very similar to the one at the beginning of this book with the illustrations of, like, Mm. a restaurant laid over the map. So I thought that that was interesting that, like even the the illustrations in the book are based on like a reality that didn't exist for her in 1922 but you know the idea that like you're just trying to survive from like one place to the next stop without you know having to you know you're praying like the tires don't go out or you're not you're making sure you're not going over 30 miles per hour all of those very real deal details i think helped me feel that sense of like urgency or fear you, but what did you think?
1: No, you're you're totally right. And if you don't have the book, they use this map, not just so that you can visualize her trip, but to also point out that as she travels south, it's not as if her world of Harlem in terms of being around Black-owned businesses disappears. Instead, they have to really strategize to make sure that they are following a route where they will interact with places like a bank owned by a black woman, which is the St. Luke Penny Savings Bank, or the St. Agnes Hospital, which is a hospital, um, one of the very few that would serve black people between DC and Atlanta. So it really wouldn't be surprising if we put these, this kind of fictional map with like a, a red, you know, big line next to the green book route that you took. I bet they are the same.
0: Yeah, I'll take a screenshot. I'll see if I can like overlap them or something. But yeah, I I, they looked very similar.
1: She also has this experience, so it's not as if she is a sheltered child in Harlem. She's encountered different stories through her mother's work and her father talking about his experience as a veteran and a business owner. Claudie talks to adults all the time, right? People who live in her boarding house. But she's coming into a different set of interactions and she's seeing her mother express fear in a way that she wasn't accustomed to. And I think Mm. there's a beautiful pairing in this book of we see her mother being afraid and in some ways like having to make herself smaller or make herself bolder in certain moments to survive. And that this is also mapped for Claudie on realizing that her mother has a mother. And when she looks at her grandmother for the first time, she sees this really strong resemblance and she starts to, as a lot of us have in life, right, with people that we are connected to or related to, you're looking at your face to see a resemblance or you're trying to figure out, is this trait, this thing that I do, something that I learned from someone else? And something I thought was brilliant about this book is it, of course, begs the question, how did her mother have the courage and... Where does the desire come from for her to leave? And we get that story, which I think was a really smart way to introduce, you know, heavy material. But I think that was really great. Claudia maybe wouldn't have thought to ask those questions before.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Like there's sort of an element of this book that's sort of like when you take your parents or your family out of your normal context of your hometown or whatever, And it's sort of like the idea of like vacation dad. Like my dad is a different person on vacation. It's like she sees her mom in this completely different context and different perspective because she's seeing her mom in her hometown. And the way that her grandmother looks at her mother like a daughter and like realizing, like you said, there's that beautiful passage. It's like, I didn't really realize like my mom is a daughter too. And that's just such a beautiful like perspective moment of like seeing yourself in this longer chain of family and descendants. And as you're saying, like, you start to think about, like, what is my inheritance? Like, what are the things that I'm carrying with me that I might now be able to articulate because I have access to someone like my grandmother?
1: We're also learning that Claudie's family is exceptional, not just because she is growing up in Harlem. Right. Which really is a place that is extraordinary for the era that she is there But also the fact that her family is one of a very small percentage of Black property owners, people who are able Mm. to buy and, you know, not just save up, but actually hold on to their land past the process of reconstruction. Even today, this real town called Shellman has a population of just over a thousand, but over 63 percent of that population is listed as Black or African-American in the population records. So the different Mm. census records And you can look up, it's kind of interesting. I looked up the historic preservation record and the record sort of suggests that the town like really went through different stages of depression, one of which Mm. was because of the bull weevil. But it also makes it seem like it really wasn't a terribly prosperous place for a period of time. And you contrast that with the fact that For her family, for her grandmother, and at one time her grandfather, they are so proud to be from this place because they own the land that they live on.
0: Right, right. And, you know, what kind of getting back to the question of like, what does freedom look like for you? Like, or how do you navigate fear? It's really interesting that so early in the family trip, we get the story that her great, great grandfather who bought the land or great grandfather um slept with the title under his pillow every night because he was so afraid of it being stolen away, and so that's both like a representation of like freedom equals land for this person, but also like the manifestation of fear is like that will be taken from me absolutely whereas like as we see like the her mother for her like the freedom was to leave the land and to be able to write whatever she wanted about the truth of her experience and what she saw so. Yeah, it's like an interesting range of experiences.
1: This is also a really transitional time. So these books are set in the early 1920s. And 1922 is considered one of the endpoints of really these persistent problems with boll weevils. And we learn Mm. from grandma that they had to diversify their crops and that they're able to survive because of that. One historian found that um during the nineteen twenty one attack of the bull weevil, um that and different attacks in the previous decade pushed out nearly a third of black landowners who owned large tracts of land. Wow. And we know that only 13% of the um, landowners in Georgia overall, just like the generation of her grandparents, only 13% um, were were black landowners. So it's like a pretty small percentage. And that's even in places, right? Obviously the numbers might differ, but remember that number, almost 65% of the population is black families, right? So there's like obviously Mm. this huge gap here I also discovered there's kind of like a passing reference to this, the county that these uh, families are growing up in had really first been kind of dispersed through a land lottery, forcing the removal of um, people through the Creek Indian War. And so there had been a number of forced removals of indigenous peoples. And the white settlers who had claimed the land before the Civil War um, truly got it through what we could call a random lottery. So this is really a place Hmm. where like life is very uncertain, and it helps you understand by Claudie's grandparents generation like that land means everything to them.
0: Right. And I love the description we get that the great-grandfather or the family could survive despite the boll weevil, despite all of this, you know, these threats to the land because they just know the land so well that mm-hmm. like they know what will work where and like that their connection is that deep. I mean, it's a really good establishment of like it's not just land and it's like this symbiotic relationship.
1: Claudia walks into a house where people have been cooking for her and the arrival of her family. People are very, very excited. And she has this moment where she runs barefoot, something she would never do at home. And Mm -hmm. we get this great passage. Claudia leaned against a tree laughing as she tried to catch her breath. Fireflies blinked past. And for the first time in her life, she looked up into a sky full of stars. Maybe she thought this was Georgia too. Not that walk earlier in the hot sun, but crowding into a house full of family and she feels family in a different way than she had in the boarding house and i think of all the different series we've read and maybe this is just kind of the evolution of children's literature we've talked so much about how do you bring nuance into books that are meant for people who are 9 and we we are not 9 years old and to me this passage just does it so perfectly this idea of like maybe this was Georgia too. Like she's now had these different experiences and it's not one Mm. thing or the other. I just think that's such a brilliant way to do that.
0: Yeah, I think understanding or sitting with like both and is a really tough thing even as an adult. And, you know, the passage before this or the scene before this, she and her mom decide to walk the length to her grandmother's house from a gas station where the car they've driven down has broken down and her uncle is staying with it. And a sheriff pulls up beside them And it's another moment where she feels her mother's fear. um, And he's basically like surveilling them, like, where are you going? And then drives away when they say they're from New York City with a huff. But it's a moment where it's like she's so used to the anonymity of the city and like no one really paying attention to you. And you're walking down a city block to like being overtly surveilled in Georgia. And it's like, oh, my God, there's like this moment of like, is this what Georgia is? And then there's that beautiful scene that you just read where she's surrounded by family and it's a different sense of family. Like there's a sense of like the biological nature of it. Like she's seeing her eyes on her grandmother's face and all this stuff. And it's like, well, it's both like scary, that surveillance moment. And it's also this beautiful moment of family and seeing the stars.
1: A lot of the marketing around Claudie has shown her on her like scooter, right? Like the Mm. the beautiful visual of her, like going down the street in Harlem with her dog and with her scooter and the illustrations in this part of the book are such a sharp contrast because Claudie's mother, her whole body stiffens up and she grabs on to Claudie and we kind of get this moment where she's had relative freedom in a lot of ways in her life. And now she's being pulled in. And when she asks her mother why the policeman would be talking to them, she says to scare us, to show us that he's in control. And this is the first time that she's wondering, you know, why does my grandmother, quote, want to live in a place like this? And Mm. it really evolves where she starts to have a different appreciation by the end of the book. And I'll just say, I absolutely love the way that this book ends. And Mm -hmm. in a scene that comes not long after this, we hear a, a story from her grandmother about people who knew the right words, who knew kind of the magical words, who could make themselves rise up and fly out of the fields and return home to Africa and kind of escape from slavery. Did you recognize right away that story? Like, was that a folk story that you had heard? Because I remember so vividly, I could picture the cover of that book as soon as her grandmother told it.
0: Yeah, I I hadn't thought about it in a long time or Br'er Rabbit, which we can also talk about. But I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But yeah, it was it was. Like really heartening to hear that story again.
1: The people could
0: fly was something
1: that was very popular. I think around our age in the nineties and mm. maybe into the early two thousands. And it's interesting. It it got me thinking about right kind of in the moment that we grew up that you know Kwanzaa was talked about in public schools and we were one of the first generations that really Black History Month was something that had spread from being Mm -hmm. a project that not everyone was undertaking. That was really a Black Pride project to something a bit more standardized in schools. And I remember Mm -hmm. very specifically reading The People Could Fly. And I was sort of hoping, like, I hope this comes full circle in this book. I hope this is something that, you know, our main character takes on but to have her grandmother as a storyteller say you had to say special ancient words in order to fly. She's also, I think, in that moment validating her daughter's love of journalism and this little girl who just loves stories. I thought that was just like a perfect moment.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a perfect moment, too, because in a kind of meta way, it's like the grandmother is sharing family history with her granddaughter who she's just met and through storytelling. And, and basically in this meta way, it's like, look at the magic of storytelling. If you know the right words you know, you can make miracles happen. You can make, you know, incredible things happen. And what I love about that story too is like there's no white people in it. Like I don't, you know, it's hard when you have some black history books where it still centers like white people and white supremacy. Like this book really doesn't. And I think that's really to its credit. Like it's really about like the magic that can happen when this black family like comes together and like can say the magic words.
1: There's also a number of other things that go on in this book, right? There is the fire at the Bowman's oh, yeah. farm, right? There's the ongoing kind of issues from the bull beevils coming through and something You know, that makes Claudie still really like a precious young girl. And this reminded me of the Melody books quite a bit. She Mm. is sort of like taking in all this information about civil rights, about racial injustice. But she's so afraid she's going to flop at her performance. Right. She's nervous. She's anxious. And the first Melody book like really goes in hard completely on that plot line. For Claudie, it's kind of on the back burner, like she's nervous about it, but she's not entirely sure how she's going to represent her talent. And I think her grandmother and her mother model that for her, right? You have to know people, Mm. you have to learn a story to be able to tell it. And I thought this book was kind of setting up in a smart way. This is very much what Zora Neale Hurston will actually do in the next 10 or so years. Mm-hmm. And this book plays really well. I think part of my issue with Gilded Age was I didn't like characters that were ripoffs of real people interacting with the real versions of themselves. But then mm-hmm. this book does that and I like it. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the back, Brett Bennett says that, um, Claudie's mom is based on Ida B. Wells, mm-hmm. um, Burnett. And th- that's really interesting. And to see that uh, I thought it was interesting. Like I was thinking about, um, Neil Neil Hurston as well, thinking about, there's like a, not a tension, but uh, there's a moment of like the mom giving her daughter permission to not be exactly like her, which I think is such an important thing in like mother, daughter, parent, child relationships where it's like, I think when you're a kid that age, it's like, you want to replicate your parents. They're your heroes. And, you know, there's a great scene where like Claudie is, so the farm like near to the family farm is burnt down in an act of terrorism and Claudie's mom like starts to investigate it. And to the point that like Claudie sinks out into the bed of a truck when she's like driving out to investigate and gets caught and her mom's like, what are you doing? And she's like, you know, I wanted to see what you were up to. And it's just like how much her mom is a model for her. But then there's that scene where the mom is like, tells her why she left and what motivates her life as a writer, which we should definitely talk about. But also says when Claudia's like, yeah, I want to be a writer too, but I don't think I can be a writer like you. And her mom's like, yeah, that's okay. You can be like mm-hmm. your own kind of writer. And you could just imagine in that moment, I was like, yeah, I think Claudia's going to be a fiction writer. Like that's the vibe to me of what where she's going. But that scene is really chilling um, of her talking to claudia about what motivated her to be a writer
1: so claudia and her
0: mother are sitting
1: underneath a tree and they're enjoying themselves or having like otherwise a pretty really pleasant afternoon and Mm -hmm. her mother talks about how it was an experience of a lynching but almost as important not just the violence against that person the fact that people in her community wanted that violence to be known And there Mm -hmm. is a lynching victims memorial online and it is state by state. And you can process what stories happened in what place, whether these were public lynchings or, you know, sorry, they're all public, but whether there was a performance element to it with an audience. Mm -hmm. And so a real person that this could be based on is Harris Sherman. He was a black man that was lynched in 1901. That could very well be the actual Inspiration Mm. for a story that would have happened in her mother's hometown. And just for reference, because this came up in book one as well, in the lifetime that basically covers like just above, just before her mother's lifetime, so 1882 to 1968. Um, the ACLU and the NAACP estimate that there's about 4,700 lynchings that happen in the U.S. Wow! And Georgia has the second highest number by state out of those hmm. 4,000 plus.
0: Was the top Mississippi?
1: I I have closed it, but I I can double check. Yeah, no, no,
0: no, it's cool. So, um, but
1: but Georgia Georgia is the highest and. When you look at the numbers, you can see year by year how many people were lynched in the United States. I think the fact that her mother says, you know, it wasn't just the horror of this person. But when Ida B. Wells Barnett writes Southern horrors and people start to document this, it's the violence and the terrorism of, you know, letting the person suffering be public to everybody. You know, the message Mm -hmm. that people were trying to send by Even when they have change that falls in the store because the clerk is rude, her mother refuses to pick it up and won't let Claudie pick it up. And she tells her that their dignity is worth more than a few pennies.
0: Right. And that's such a powerful moment, too, especially just, you know, you can see every interaction they have with a white person feels like a threat. And you see the mom really struggling to both keep Claudie safe Especially because it's her first exposure to this level of racism, but also to maintain her dignity and like what a tight um, what a tightrope that is for her to walk. And you know, I think if you're reading this book and you're like nine years old, I think the concept of lynching might be new, but also the concept. And this is to Brett Britt Bennett's credit. Like to your point, what's so chilling about lynchings beyond the obvious t- terrorism and murder of an innocent person is that the white people often in attendance treated it as if it was entertainment and would wear their Sunday best, as she describes, and bring their children. And they were not horrified by it. They were entertained by it. And their desire to be entertained by it or the fact that they allowed themselves to be is in many ways, like, is so disturbing amongst the many things that are awful about it because it tells you that they're not only not bothered by white supremacy, but, you know, they're relying on it.
1: Her mother says to her in this moment, I never forgot it. Right. She's taking herself back to this horrible incident in her own life. And she says, even though I never learned the man's name, he was the reason I left Shellman and he was the reason I started to write. Mm. And when you read memoirs of a number of people who chose to or had the ability to kind of reinvent themselves it's actually fairly common that they cite a single incident or a string of incidents of like particularly horrific racial violence as being the reason why they completely uproot their lives. And again, it gets back to this duality in the family that her mother feels very safe on this soil. And even the sight of this tree during a picnic is too much. Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: When, In the back of the book, when Britt Bennett is asked why she includes this in the book and lynching is cited specifically, she says, "'It's important to understand the complexity of history if you want to understand the world today. Glossing over hard truths allows us to live on today, leaving us ill-prepared to deal with the real challenges we currently face. I also think it's important for children to understand that multiple things can be true at once.'" And it's there she talks about how she's not going to glorify the Harlem Renaissance or this trip south without showing both sides of each coin.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a really the strongest part of her interview, which is all great. Um, But that's such a resonant point, not only in teaching this time period in American history, but just for our own times right now, like there's such a movement towards censorship of school materials of, you know, not only histories of slavery, but references to gay or trans people, as if like, if we don't talk about it, it will go away. Or, you know, you will never have to feel uncomfortable. And I think she just gives a great explanation of, you know, the way that you rob kids um, of, you know, the capacity to handle difficult things in life or, To sit with uncertainty, or you know, I think kids have such a huge capacity to understand complexity and to be accepting, and you know, yeah, I mean, the it it makes me very sad that that's happening still.
1: And Claudia's a great example of that, right? You know, she takes in new information, she learns about her family, and. One thing, you know, that it's kind of easy to laugh at with American Girl is the notion of the kids saving the day or right kind of these ham-fisted scenarios where children kind of step up. And the truth is, Claudie has the idea for the fundraiser to save the boarding house, but it's sort of her charm and the action of adults that makes it happen. And I think Mm. this might be the book that strikes the best balance between telling kids that they can be empowered and showing ways that they can make a change and not acting like children need to be saviors. There, there were times right. where it felt like the whole boarding house was going to fall apart if Kit didn't come up with a solution.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a bit unhinged, um, the degree to which she was seemingly on the hook for the family's survival.
1: This book, by contrast, we come back, right? And it's, you know, the world has not fallen apart because Claudie took a vacation. Everyone has been... Seeing through on their plans, they've been practicing. They end up selling all the tickets that they need to sell for this kind of review from the boarding house. And we get this moment that I was excited for since book one, which is she actually does a performance, which was part of her promise that, you know, the mural artist wasn't going to do the backdrop unless she performed and the dancers and the seamstresses like they weren't going to do their part unless she decided to do something so what did you think of how she kind of chooses to close out the review
0: it was so good it was so perfect and you know she kind of hints like she finally gets her big idea when they're getting in the car to drive home so the whole way i'm like okay so what's (laughs) the big idea gonna be and i was hoping it would be something with storytelling because that seemed like such an important um life-giving thing in her family and in this experience and you know sure enough like well first of all we get the drop in of irving has moved into the basement apartment in her absence and he's studying to be an engineer and she's basically like i have an idea for my part but it seems impossible (laughs) and he's like good thing you came to me like i love to do things that are impossible." And long story short, she gets hoisted up to fly over the crowd. And like after telling a story about how like all the residents of the boarding house are um, like flying, flew away to Harlem from all the various places from which they've come. And it's just like a very beautiful story about chosen family as well. And yeah, I just loved everything about it.
1: She d- gives this kind of speech, as you're saying, and she says, this is the only home I ever knew. I didn't move here from somewhere else, like so many people in Harlem. And I thought that meant I didn't have a story to tell. But then I went to see my family in Georgia and realized home isn't just a place. Maybe you can find home anywhere you find people who love you. And she changes the script that her grandmother puts by instead of saying, that home is Africa, for which is like kind of interesting, right? Like Marcus Garvey mm. is not in the audience. Like he was no, not he's consulted. Not. He would
0: not vibe with this, this at all.
1: She says, you know, Harlem is her home. And I think this is a really interesting argument from the author, right? Because at the time that Claudie is growing up. There are multiple different radical movements, one of which is still a movement of people who are choosing to repatriate, to return to their ancestors' Mm -hmm. homeland. That's the Marcus Garvey group. And then there are people like W.E.B. Du Bois and others who for periods of time are trying to think about ways to be fully accepted into society, even if that means having places like Harlem and the final line, which I think is very similar to when Melody kind of creates a chorus around her. And they're singing as, mm. you know, like one heartbeat, one group. Claudie has a group of young girls dressed as angels behind her. And when the pulley goes up, um, she felt her wings unfurling. And when she closed her eyes, she flew. And I do think it's not too far to say that, like, we have this story of horror, right, of this person mm. who is lynched in front of a community And the whole notion that with the right magic and spirit, you could fly away and emancipate yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of what is happening here, right? This idea that like she has chosen to ascend and a black man in her community is in control of that moment. And that lift up is freedom. It's not oppression. Yeah. So Mm. you kind of wonder what like mom and dad were thinking in the audience,
0: I would love to know. Well, and also, don't we get a, a scene of, was it her mom when she was growing up reading Wizard of Oz? Yes. Because I was thinking, too, like, that's a callback to, like, there's no place like home. And kind of, like, reimagining, like, what it would mean to have, like, a black girl in 1920s Harlem be Dorothy. Yes,
1: yeah, she talks about how she loved the Wizard of Oz. She loved those stories. And we don't get an uncomplicated mom. Like, we met plenty of uncomplicated people and adults and American girl and mom is Absolutely. a very complicated person right like you kind of get the sense yeah. that maybe it was painful that she hasn't been home i kept contrasting this in my mind and i'm not trying to hate on mary ellen for no reason but like the Feel mary free. ellen road trip molly's route 66 adventure like <laughs> the way that those have so many kind of campy and silly moments or it's like i yeah. hate sharing the back seat is such a contrast to this book.
0: Yeah, it's like not even close. And also I think like it's a great point about like the complexity of Claudie's mom in in these books because when you think about like her relationship to home, it's complicated in multiple directions because in this book you see how she has a complicated relationship to her literal hometown and felt the need to fly away from it, to tell the truth about it and raise awareness about it. And in the first Claudia book, we also see that she has a complicated relationship with home in the sense of like domesticity. Mm-hmm. Like, as someone who is a mother and a wife, she's often not at home. Like, there's another woman who fulfills a lot of her, you know, caregiving in terms of like meal preparation and just sort of like being a presence in the boarding house, as opposed to like, you know, she's working all hours, she comes home really late at night. And I think that, and I don't say that in any way to judge, but to say like, wow, it's really cool to see a mom who, you know, is choosing this complicated, you know, this really serious profession for herself that demands so much of her emotionally, like physically, and also seeing her navigate, you know, the sacrifices she has to make in her home life to make that happen as well.
1: I, I learned once again that I just want to live in a boarding house. (laughs)
0: my grandmother, my dad's mom grew up in a boarding house and she honestly like did make it sound really cool. Like she, her mom died in the flu epidemic. And so her dad basically was like a cop or no, a firefighter. And he was like, I can't take care of you. So he sent his sisters were maids for a British family and like listened in on their investing advice eavesdropping and like saved enough money to buy a boarding house and so they ran this boarding house in hartford which has since been demolished but like it sounded like genuinely like there was such a cast of characters around all the time like constant entertainment built in you know like a lot of supervision but also not a lot of supervision because everyone's busy
1: and i mean again in in i think like the hands of a different author you'd kind of be rolling your eyes by the end but it feels credible that with all these different adult role models in this book and the boarding housekeeper, especially, it doesn't feel as much of a stretch that Claudie would run into Langston Hughes.
0: I mean, yeah, I think that's true. I think it felt a little <laughs> bit hokey, but at the same time, I was into it, so I don't really care. But like, basically, she's like running around with flyers to get people to come to this show and buy tickets. And he's with like a group of writers. And he's like, hey, like when was the last time you saw a show? Like I'll be there. And then he like comes to her play. It's like, whoa, no pressure. Langston Hughes in the audience. And I I think that would
1: seem honestly, I do. I think that would seem very silly, except and this is kind of, you know, in in some ways, like not not just a hint, but we're going to be reading a modern version of the Brownies book this month, Mm -hmm. right, which is the thing that showcased children in her community around the same period of time. But the idea of really cultivating children's talent in Harlem, we also get this passing reference in the book to the fact that Claudie aces her spelling test and her teacher thinks that she's cheating. And her mother Mm. goes into the school and confronts the teacher, who is a black woman, and basically demands that she have really high standards for children in the community. So it's not so out of the question that top intellectuals would take children seriously, because there's all this effort, right, to really raise, again, whether you are Marcus Garvey or your W.E.B. Du Bois, to raise a really strong next generation of Black leaders.
0: Yeah, I mean, it gets that whole talented 10th piece of like Du Bois saying like he thinks the uplift is going to happen from intellectuals leading the way and like wanting Black education to include the liberal arts and not just sort of like trade education or professional training and... And like seeing Claudie, like being positioned in that place of like, you know, she is part of like, to me, that was a moment of like talented 10th.
1: Oh, definitely. And there's also on page 76, a portrait showing a family's pride in their farm. There is a black family standing next to Mm -hmm. them that they own. It's always this balance in this book, right? That success doesn't look like just one thing. And this is a brilliant passage in the end of their version of a peek into the past, through reading, black children were empowered to follow their passions, envision a new future for themselves, and let their spirits soar to a brand new horizon. And again, like you don't need to be a special like a children's literature specialist. Like clearly that's a purpose of this book as well.
0: Of course. I mean, when I got that got to that sentence, I was like literally singing to myself the old reading rainbow theme song. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like that's like so the trope about reading is like it can take you anywhere you want to go. And you know, I mean It just fits right in.
1: I I liked being, would you rather be on the road with Claudie and her family or Jack Kerouac since chapter one is on the road?
0: Absolutely not with Jack Kerouac. Under no circumstances. Would you choose Jack
1: Kerouac? I mean, for a few days, yeah.
0: Wow. I'm curious with what's going on there. Which American girl would you go on a road trip with?
1: I mean, my initial answer is whoever would be willing to drive me. I think Samantha, because we'd travel really well.
0: That's what I was going to say. Like, I'm a baby about road trips, so I would want someone who's like, hey, hey, babe, like, I got a private jet or like, Uncle Guard's going to drive us in like some sweet Winnebago type of situation where I can lay down and pretend I'm not in a car. Like, that's where I'm at.
1: I don't feel as though Kit would let me get snacks and I think that would agitate me like I feel like Kit is someone who packed a bunch of food and let it like sit in her pockets and oh, on God. the back seat and she'd be forcing me to eat stuff that went bad a few days earlier. I'm sorry, Kit. you know, honestly though too, I'll say this about Kirsten like if the going got tough, like she'd keep it moving.
0: Well, my fear with Kirsten is, like, if I was not well on the trip, I don't think she would get me medical care. I think she would kind of be like, what does Mary have on her that I could sell the yeah. moment she passes and, like, she leaves me in a cave?
1: I think she'd leave you, but she'd feel really bad.
0: Of course she would. Yeah.
1: I don't. Of course. I don't know. I will also say I have a sense that, like, after being swindled by Patrick O'Toole, that Josefina has a lifelong axe to grind of like fool me once, fool me. Ooh, don't well, fool if Tad's
0: on the trip, I would go with Tia D. I'd be yeah. safe. I'd probably live well. I don't know. I mean, if she's on my side, I don't want to be on her bad side. She's on your side. I'm, I'm not LA. riding a
1: horse, so it's a no for me with Felicity. It's just a hundred percent no with Mary Ellen. I'm so sorry. It just is a no for me, I and can. I just feel like with Nanea, nope. like she's still like going back to her gas mask days. And I just like, I just don't want to have that conversation with her again. I respect that that was difficult, but I just don't sense her being there.
0: Molly would drive me absolutely nuts and probably like demand control of like the Bluetooth or the radio. And I can't have that in my car. Like I just can't.
1: Those who've driven in the car with me know that my leg shakes the entire time I'm driving, and I sense that yep. Molly has that as well.
0: <laughs> she's just she's just an anxious driver?
1: Yeah, I don't even know that. I, it's involuntary, but I don't think that she would be, again, like a top choice. Julie, maybe. Julie has a van, but there's a chance that Julie is, is stuffing you into a VW bug.
0: I can't with that. That's not going to work for me. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. So Mm -hmm.
1: thankfully, we're not done, done with Claudie, right? Because we are going to be reading the new Brownies book for Patreon, right? So if you kind of join us in those spaces, we'll still be able to talk about things in this world. But what are we reading next?
0: I could not be more excited that we are moving to the decade That we were born, Allison. We're heading to the 1980s. Some would say a terrifying decade. I agree. Gave us so many great things. You and me, for example, American Girl, gave us many terrifying things. Too many to name. But we are moving on to meet Courtney, the American Girl, with, I'll say this, the best theme music I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, we're going to the 1980s. If you want to join us in like a Hands Across America thing, we'll have to wait till we're out of this pandemic, but maybe.
0: I mean, did you see that there's a documentary about um, "We Are the World," and in it, oh. Diana Ross was like the last person to leave the recording session because she was crying and she was like, "I'm just sad it's over." I'm, like, oh my god, what? I don't, I don't know
1: that I know enough about that, but I'm willing to learn for okay. cu- for Courtney. For you Courtney. know
0: the song "We Are the World." I do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you look up the cast of characters that recorded that song, it's like. It's a ragtag group, I'll just say that. I'm open to that. The had a lot of weird stuff in it, and I can't wait to get into it. If Hollywood
1: that. is calling part one or part two, maybe miniseries, I think that we deserve a Claudie. We movie, do.
0: Whatever we absolutely do. I just read an Issa Rae profile. She's talking about making all kinds of stuff like, please buy the rights to this book, make it happen.
1: I think so. There's talk of Mattel offloading American girl or being encouraged to offload Fisher price and American girl.
0: Interesting. And just
1: like, you know, shout out to Fisher price that made, you know, like my first recording system, like pre podcasting, yeah. you know, I haven't let either of you go like I'm loyal.
0: Wow. Wow. You're like Rose and Titanic. Yeah. I'll never let you go. And they're like the iceberg is the dump the assets the cold of capitalism yeah wow I didn't know they were like being told to offload metal or to offload American Girl not by me. That's like striking news to me. Oh. I don't I need to like research that. I don't know. It might shock you, Allison. monitoring the stock market. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Um, I have ten dollars in my acorns Ooh, account. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> Most of my assets are wrapped up in sneakers, blazers, t-shirts, and boxes of cereal. So like that's where I'm at. My retirement looks bleak, but um, you know, I'll I'll have to make some changes. We'll just say that.
1: When we get credit, you know, which we won't, but like for, you know, At least like brainstorming the first iteration of the Claudia movie.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that will help. I, I hope so. I hope we get a story right. Story credit. Wow. Well, I can't. This has been such a ride. I'm glad we're still continuing with Claudie with the new Brownie book, which if you were confused by me, like me and you want to find this book, it's literally called the new Brownie book. Yes. That's what you search. Um, so I can't wait to read that on Patreon. We love chatting with everyone on Discord. We're open to watch alongs and all kinds of things. So if you've joined us there, please be sure to reach out and say hi. And thanks to everyone for listening to the show. Now, Allison, where can people find us if they want to get in touch?
1: You can find me at Alison Horicks on all the different places. You would also love if you would follow the show at Dolls Lives Pod and Dolls Lives Podcast. Mary, where should people find you?
0: They can find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. And I just want to say, like, thanks to everyone who has also supported our book. Please check it out if you haven't yet. Help us spread the word if you enjoyed it. Um, and I guess even if you didn't question mark, but. You know, we just really appreciate all the support and, you know, this entire community. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode.